0: Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in.
1: Lesson today is from Psalm one eighteen verses fourteen through twenty-five. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second lesson is Luke 24, 13 through 35. It is still Easter day. Jesus has not yet appeared to anyone until now. Listen again with fresh ears. Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now on that same day that is Easter day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to him, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? Jesus answered them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucify him. Some of those who went with us to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then Jesus said to them, "'Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory?' Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told them what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Indeed, we are still on Easter If you remember last week, when our house, God's house was full, we all celebrated the fact that the tomb was empty, and as you look, we still have our butterfly banners up to indicate that we are still, at least in Luke's gospel, still in Easter day, still in Easter day. And there is a season of Easter afterwards, so we'll probably keep these up for a little bit to remind us of the resurrection. So if you remember last week, we studied Luke's account also. And it was the women who went back on Sunday morning and they found the stone rolled away. And they looked in, Jesus' body not there, Two men in dazzling clothes, that's not to say they were snappy dressers, that is to indicate that they were angels, said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Right. And they're perplexed, confused. They run back, tell the other disciples, the male disciples, who thought it was an idle tale. Peter runs back, looks finds him not there, and he went away amazed. That's where we ended the passage last week. Nobody's seen Christ yet. The women have seen the angels, but nobody else has. It is in today's story that Jesus first appears to the disciples or anybody in Luke's gospel. So what we're beginning today is a two-week series on this passage. It is long and it is chock full of goodies. And so today we will deal with the first part of the passage. And next week, when we are back in communion as a church family, we will celebrate the second half when Jesus appears to them in the breaking of the bread. But today we are focusing on the first part. We're teeing up next week with today. When I prepare sermons, a part of my sermon writing process is simply to read the passage and make a list of questions. And then I go explore those questions. Where was Jesus? Why was he there? Who was with him? What was going on? All of that stuff to help us figure out some of the context. And you can do that. Every good Bible study does that to help figure that piece out. So, today I'm answering just a couple of questions that I asked about this passage again as we segue into next week in the breaking of bread together. So, as we've stated, two of them disciples, not part of the 12. We don't know who this Cleopas is, he is only here, not named in any other places. Some traditions say he may have been a part of the 70 that God sent out in Luke 10 to go heal, cast out demons in Jesus' name, but we don't really know that. And the second disciple is not named. It's as if Luke is saying, the second disciple is you or me insert your name into that place put yourself in the same position as these two disciples they are completely befuddled they've been up they've been down and now they don't know what to be they saw jesus crucified friday good friday as we've discussed all of their hopes and dreams were destroyed This was not the Messiah. All those things that Jesus had said and did didn't really amount to anything because he was dead. They saw him suffer. They saw him die. They saw him be buried. They were distraught. They were grieving. And if they followed Christ for any length of time, they had sacrificed to follow Christ to that point, and none of it came true. Saturday... Despondent, broken, grieving. Sunday, to this point, now befuddled. Why? Because some women talked to angels and the tomb was empty. Well, what does that mean? They don't know. They came in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They were on the high, the disciples and those following Christ. Then throughout the week, it seemed to shatter and change perception of what the Messiah was supposed to be and do, and then this crucifixion business, no. So they've been up, they've been down, and now they don't know what to believe. So much so that they're talking to each other about it, you and Cleopas, walking seven miles to Emmaus. And in the midst of that journey, and notice what scripture says they were doing, Not only were they talking with each other about all these things that were happening, they were talking and discussing Jesus. They don't yet understand that he is Christ. Christ, that term that means the anointed one, who Jesus is, not his last name. So they would have just known Jesus as Jesus. And they were talking and discussing. So the first point, I want to talk through today is that in the process of talking and discussing about Christ we more fully understand that Christ is with us when are the moments in your life when you are talking and discussing Christ faith God this whole journey as God's people certainly here in worship Maybe Sunday school. I started my journey into ministry through Christian education. Vicki, my wife, and I met at the Presbyterian School of Christian Education in Richmond, Virginia. It was a two year graduate school where we worked together on Christian education. Christian education offers those opportunities generally outside of worship, although we're always learning and worshiping, no matter where we are and what we're doing. But outside of worship, it's hard to discuss in worship. That's not necessarily our tradition, for some it is. But we're not really discussing. I hope in your mind as I'm preaching, we have an inner dialogue. I always think that we are having a conversation. I don't stand up here to make a speech. We are in this together, and I hope you're asking questions in your mind, or you're saying, right on preacher, or that guy is nuts, or that is wrong, or yeah. All of those things should be taking place in your head, in your heart, in the sermon proclamation time. But when does that happen outside of worship, that you are talking and discussing about Christ? It's hard to do that unless we intentionally are attending Bible studies unless we are intentionally coming to opportunities, gatherings through the church, our Wednesday nights, our Tuesday night Bible study, our Thursday morning Bible study, our soul care Saturdays, all the events that we do as a church give us those opportunities. Do we take advantage of those? But it's not only here within the church. It's in the world. All you need to do is type in devotions. And there are thousands of responses that will come up. But they are not, it's not just one of them. They are talking and discussing together. They are working things out together. They are not only fellowshipping, but they are grieving together. They are trying to figure out what is going on with this Jesus character together. That, friends, is the benefit of Christian education and worship. Our faith is not an island. We can certainly believe on our own. We can certainly learn to a certain degree on our own, but only to a point because we're not pushed, we're not reinforced, we're not held accountable. We don't say, gosh, I, You and Cleopas that were discussing what had just happened over the weekend, Cleopas said, I saw this, and can you believe that? And you, the other one, said, I saw this, and I can't believe. And wait a minute, you saw that, I saw this. Wait, maybe there are two points of view for the same event that we experienced. Same thing in prayer, in scripture, in service, in worship. We are enhanced by the community of faith, whether that's in this place or in the world. Our life of faith and discipleship is stunted when we think we have it figured out, we put God in our box, we seal it up, and we are good. How do we grow? You don't. And we need to not be okay with not growing. Our call is to always be growing. And we do that, in this case, Talking and discussing Christ with one another. Think about in the world where you can talk and discuss about Christ. That was number one. Number two, it's fascinating. As they move on, Jesus is veiled from them. They don't know who he is. Why would they not know who he is? They know him. They've traveled with him. They're called disciples, so obviously they would know. And this is consistent somewhat with post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. It's not until Jesus interacts with people that they recognize him. Mary at the tomb in John's Gospel, she thinks he's the gardener. Until he says, Mary, Jesus. It's okay for her to say that at that time. When Jesus appears, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks, in in John's fish fry where he's cooking fish and bread on the beach and they think he's a ghost and they don't know who he is and Peter jumps off naked into the water and comes and can't believe it. They don't know until he speaks and interacts with them. And so as he, well, why do they do that? Why is that fair? Come on, God. It's hard enough for us to understand Jesus. Why are they kept from seeing him? One possible explanation has to do with, if they realize that that's Jesus, will it blow their little minds too much to focus on what is going on? For example, let's say you're a high school basketball uh, basketball or football coach, and guess who comes I'll let you insert your team and your coach in that place so I don't get in trouble. And that coach comes to your high school, your football team, a celebrity there to talk to you and your staff, maybe your players. Are you going to listen to what that person says? Are you going to be so jazzed that there's a celebrity in your little corner of the world that you're going to have trouble focusing So maybe Jesus needed to teach them first before they knew who he was so that they would listen and pay attention. It's my interpretation. So Jesus has this weird little interplay, messing with them a little bit. What are you talking about? And they said, are you kidding me? Do you not know? Again, they are broken. They are grieving, completely confused and perplexed about what to make of the crucifixion and the women and those others who went to the tomb and found it empty. Can, do you not, how can you not know Jerusalem was rocked by this crucifixion of someone we thought was our Messiah, a prophet, priest, and king. And it wasn't the case. And Jesus says, Oh, how foolish you are. How slow to hard to believe all the prophets have declared. And By the way, when he says that, I think it's important for us, because as Christians, we can want to focus exclusively on the New Testament because that's where Jesus is. But this is Jesus saying, I don't need you right now to focus on even my teachings or what you saw of me or what we discussed or learned or what you saw of me. It is the prophets that you need to be focusing on. We, too, need to never forget that our Old Testament is a part, the Hebrew Bible for our Jewish friends is a part of our Christian journey. Jesus lifts it up here. You should believe all of it, Jesus said. And then goes on, was it not necessary the Messiah should suffer? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And so number two, Jesus interpreted scripture to them. What? I thought the Bible said it and that's what we read and that's what we do. The word interpretation as it applies to Bible study often has taken on a negative connotation which means which has come to mean that we're changing what the bible said we're bringing some new fangled interpretation in that seems inconsistent with where we are and so interpretation can be seen as changing or altering the word of god and while that can certainly happen anyone who reads the bible has to interpret period Why? Because it was thousands of years ago. It was a completely different place. Jesus was in such a completely different place in his biblical time from when the Torah, the Pentateuch, would have been written. 1500-ish B.C. was very different than A.D. 33. While there would have been consistencies, as there are from then to our time, many things would have changed. So Jesus had to go back and interpret and explain to them what all of this meant. So my point number two is that interpretation is not bad. Interpretation is necessary for us to understand the original meaning of scripture, to know then what the application is for us. Think back just a couple hundred years with our U.S. Constitution, a very different place than the United States is in today. Why do we have constitutional lawyers? because those founding fathers who wrote those founding documents, the Constitution, could not anticipate where we would be in this time and place. And so those constitutional lawyers look and say, well, we think this is the spirit of that law, and this is how we think it should apply to today. It's the same thing as we look at Scripture. Your preachers, your teachers, yourselves, as you look at any passage— Interpreting, meaning looking at the context, trying to understand it, and then how does that apply to us absolutely has to be done. And where we start to disagree are the ways that we interpret and how we interpret. We can always make something fit in Scripture. We know that. We often come to Scripture with an agenda. We find our little proof text, and then we're out. That is not interpretation, that is not study, that is not faithful discipleship as we study and seek to learn who Christ is and who we are and who the world is. So interpreting is necessary, but responsible interpreting, meaning you use a variety of sources, meaning that you are educated and you use those who are educated to help you be led through that passage. So find places to talk and discuss who Christ is here and in the world and know the importance of interpretation. Third, we can't ever get through this passage without the understanding that Jesus was walking along with them and they didn't know it. How often do we put ourselves in that same position? I think pretty much every day. I think Christ is seeking and walking with everyone on this earth, no matter what they believe, atheists, believers of other faiths and religions, ourselves who seek to be faithful Christians. And the difference is that we as followers are expecting and looking or should be for Christ to be with us and walking with us and looking for evidence of that. God is speaking, Christ is speaking to you through your events, through your days, through the people you meet in your corner of the world, through the interactions you have, the opportunities you have. As I've mentioned before, on mission trips at the end of a long day, we wouldn't go to bed until we asked ourselves what question? Where did we see God today? Because if we don't stop and debrief that, then we could miss amazing God moments because we're just done and we're moving on to the next thing. We need to find some discipline and use that as a discipline in our lives that at the end of the day, kind of go back and debrief your day. Who did I see? Who did I talk to? What did I do? What did I read? What did I see on TV? What songs did I listen? Did something speak to me? Did God stand out? Oh, you mean God was present in that interaction? Absolutely God was. And again, often it is looking with eyes of faith and expecting God to be there that you will see that indeed God not only is there with you daily, but has been with you since the first heartbeat. So today, as we enter part one of this journey with these disciples, you and Cleopas, Remember these things. Find opportunities to talk and discuss about Christ, and in that way, you are open, you are more ready to receive, and we will more likely see Christ in those places as these two did. We know we have to interpret Scripture. That means being faithful, looking for their context, studying in responsible ways. And then the third Know that Christ is with you and expect to see Christ in your daily journey and make it a discipline, a Christian discipline, to ask yourself at the end of every day, where did I see God today? And just like these disciples will know when we get into next week, Christ has been with them all along. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia, amen.